Let's pray. And this, by the way, the, the agenda for tonight, John kind of asked me, hey, you know, would, would, you, would, you, would you teach and would you teach on kind of just whatever God would put on your heart? And so what I'm going to share tonight is, is honestly something that, I mean, as we all have our own individual times with Him, right? And, and we're spending time and we're in prayer and we're reading His Word. And, and we all encounter where God just shows us things. And it's funny because it can be a text that we've read many, many times, and then suddenly, maybe because of my season, maybe because of whatever the Spirit leads, you just see something. And so I'm just going to kind of share uh, kind of my devotional that occurred about a week ago where I was reading a text from Acts 3 and Acts 4, and, and I just saw it in a different light, right? And so I'm just going to kind of present that to you. And then I think there will be time that on the back end of that, um, and uh, I don't want to scare you, but we're going to split up into kind of twos and threes. And we actually might have to share something about ourselves with that group of people. And there's going to be a rule, it can't be with your spouse, right? Because that's too easy. They already know, right? They already know. So, and then at the end, Miss Becca is going to lead us in a delightful worship song to, uh, to close. So that'll be, that'll be kind of our evening. We do have a fair amount of text. We're going to read basically uh, Acts 3 all the way through... Yeah, thank you, sir. 431 is, uh, and so could I have someone that might take Acts 3? Thank you, brother. And then someone who might take Acts 4 through verse 31? I may not be able to. Let's see if that'll stick. So do I have a taker for three? I'll do three. All right. Do I have a taker for four through verse 31? Miss Connie? Yeah. One through 31. Yeah. So, all right. Let me ask you this before we get started or kind of as we get started. How many of you guys are familiar with a ministry called Denton Freedom House? Anybody heard of that ministry? Oh, my goodness. Look at all the hands. Yeah. So for the six of you that aren't, right, um, it is a phenomenal ministry. It was started by um, Jeremy and Karen Adams. I don't know if you know the Adams. I went to junior high and, and high school with Jeremy. And so basically, very, very, very smart individual. We were in classes together. He, and this is part of his testimony, but his parent, parents went through a divorce he went through a deep struggle. It started involving alcohol and drugs, ultimately led to addiction. He, he didn't even graduate high school. Like he just literally disappeared off the map for those of us that, that knew him. And then there was the season where when you hear his testimony, he was living with buddies that were all into the, to the same, basically the same issues. And he got so bad in his own addictions that his own addict buddies kicked him out. Right? They just, you can't stay here. And so if you remember what Fry Street was back in the day, you know that there was a lot of homeless people that they were hanging around Fry Street, specifically young people. That back in the day, there were a lot of young people that were living on, on Fry Street, and Jeremy Adams was one of those guys. He found himself living on Fry Street as an addict. I think at the time he was 19 or 20 years old. Pretty much had burned every relational bridge in his life, right? And he's sitting there, it's three in the morning, and he thinks, what, what am I going to do? Who, who, can I, who can I call? So he picks up the phone and he calls. Jeremy and I grew up in a church called Singing Oats Church of Christ. And uh, so we had been in youth group together. 
He calls the youth pastor of Singing Oaks Church of Christ at 3 in the morning. You know, this is back in the day, no cell phone, right? This is house phone ringing. He answers. Jeremy says, would you come down here? And he gets out of bed. Probably hadn't seen Jeremy in half decade. He gets out of bed. He goes down there. He loves on the brother. He shares Christ. And Jeremy comes to know Jesus. Well, if you fast forward, within three or four years, Jeremy is up at Moody Bible College in Chicago getting his degree. He comes back down here, and this is about the time that Jen and I had lived in Georgia for about five years when we first got married. And when we moved back to Texas, we go to Denton Bible Church. We go to the, you know, where do young people go? Well, there's a young marriage class. So we go to the young marriage class. And I look across the room, and by the way, Jen and I were high school sweethearts, so we both knew Jeremy back in the day. We look across the room, and there's Jeremy Adams holding Karen's hand. And I literally, I, I just, I, I did a double take, right? Is that, is, that, is that Jeremy? So I waited till it was over. I walked up, and I said, this is a testimony that I have got to hear. So we went to lunch. And during that lunch, Jeremy shared his story of when he went off the grid in high school to what Jesus had done in his life. And this radical transformation, right, that, that had occurred. And we ended up, the opportunity, we started a small group at the Adams. There was a bunch of other families in it. We were together for six or seven years, and it was delightful. But during that time, Jeremy was in construction. He was building sheds. He was doing remodels. That was kind of a... He had a pastor's heart. He wanted to be in, in ministry. So he started just going down to Fry Street, and he started just hanging out because he noticed that there were a lot of kids just like him that had nowhere to go, that were in the middle of addictions. And he went down there, and he started just trying to share the gospel with them, right? And as he began to share the gospel with them, he started asking them, so it's 4 in the morning. Where, where are you going? Well, what's the answer? They don't, they don't have anywhere to go. And so Jeremy said, well, why don't you just come home with me? So he brings young man home. Says, Karen, <laughs> we've got somebody who's going to start living with us, right? Well, he keeps going to Fry Street. He keeps finding more of these men. And he keeps saying, where can you go? And they said, we don't have anywhere to go. So he just keeps inviting them into his home, right? Now, Jeremy has unbelievable faith. Let's talk about Karen for a second. So Karen has three young boys at the time, and her husband is bringing these men off the street in addiction, right, into their home to live with them. So imagine the faith required on both of their parts. So they take the garage, they basically clean it out, and they just stack the walls with bunk beds, right? So they've got eight, nine men. Karen's cooking for all of them. They're just figuring this out. And, of course, a neighbor finds out that there's something going on next door that seems odd, right? They call the city, and guess what? You can't do that without a permit in a residential neighborhood. So they go to Jeremy, and they say, you know, you're, you're going to have to find another place. You, you can't continue to do this. Well, Jeremy was just kind of an odd job man. He didn't, he didn't have any funds. And so what, what is God going to do, right? And so they were given, you know, a certain amount of time to basically find another location. As God, as God does, right, there was another gentleman who ended up being unbelievably transformed within this ministry. And as Mel Summerall knows, his daddy was an elder at Denton Bible Church. And he found out about what Jeremy was doing in this thing called Denton Freedom House. And next thing you know, God moved 
Mel and the elders at Denton Bible Church to basically sell a property in Aubrey to Jeremy and Karen for a dollar. And they've pretty much housed 50 men on average out there for the last 15 years, and they charge nothing. There's no charge. You show up, these men show up out of jail, out of addiction, off the street. They come in. Now, there are guidelines. There are rules, right? There's phase one. There's phase two. But the reality is they just, it's just gospel. I mean, it's just, they bring them in, they love on them, and it's, it's just gospel. One of the things they do that I want to show you is when these men come in, the first night upon intake, they take a picture of them. <laughs> And then when they finish phase one, six months later, they take a picture of them. So if you go in the Denton Freedom House, there's this board that has these before and after pictures of what, what these men. And I want to show you Ooh, just a few of them. So this is a, a friend of mine named Jeremiah Moore. And there's his intake photo, right? Doesn't look like a very happy fellow. There's him upon graduation, and that's him with his wife, Lisa, and their little ones, and radical, radical changes. And Toby, do you know, there are a couple of them, I don't remember their names. What's his name? Do you remember him? I'm the same way. I couldn't remember. So basically, again, there you see his picture when he arrived. And there you see what he looks like six months later. When basically he's been loved on in community and had the gospel just poured, poured into him. There's another one. And I believe his, was his name Matthias? He was from Russia, right? So there's his intake. And that's not a gentleman who uh, looks like he's receiving much from life, Right? And there's his graduation. And then, how many of y'all know Mark Roberts? He's a pastor around Denton, right? He's at C3. He's an elder. And that's his intake. Look, look how young he is. And where's he going to go? Every one of these testimony, they've burned every bridge. Their parents can't take them. Their siblings can't take them. I mean, they've literally burned every bridge. And they show up at the Denton Freedom House. And Jesus is there. And they encounter Jesus. And, and that's Mark today with his bride. And so if you knew nothing about the ministry, if I hadn't communicated anything that I just told you about the ministry and you just walked in and you saw the before and after that I just showed you, what sort of changes would you imagine have, have gone on in these men's lives? Just speculate. Change in your heart. Yeah. In what way? Well, when they come to know the Lord, they replace all of the despair and the hopelessness and the joy and the peace yeah. and love. They're a new creation. Completely without hope. Yeah. Completely in despair. And on the other side of Jesus, you see smiles and families, marriages get reunited. So many of them had families, and they lost those families. And then over time... It's amazing how many of them have been reconciled and brought back together. Imagine the, relation, the relational changes. How isolated do you think these men were that they had created upon themselves, right? No, no community, certainly no community you could trust, right? The commonality would have been the addiction. 
and where you could participate in that objective, but there would be no there would be no brotherhood. There certainly wouldn't be any any love. The joy on their faces. I mean, when I first, when you just walk in and you see the pictures, I mean, it just it's hard not to choke up because you just see picture after picture. I mean, imagine fifteen years, all the men. How many? Toby, do you know how many graduates? Through the years? I would say probably a lot. <laughs> I would agree. I mean, I, I I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing a few hundred, right? And despair, addiction, hopelessness, smiles, joy, kingdom purpose, and a relationship with Christ, right? And it's unbelievable. And that's the power of transformation, right? That when a life, when Jesus touches someone, the transformation in that person's life is often just radical. And so what hit me as I was studying Acts 3 and Acts 4 was the impact of transformation. Because you see it in those, two, in those two chapters in the text, in the healing of a paralytic, which ultimately was a physical healing, but we see from Peter that it was more than a physical healing, right? It was a spiritual healing. There was a trust in Christ. There was a salvation that took place. And, and you see this impact. And we're going to kind of read the text, and then we're going to look at the impact of what was the impact upon him? And what was the impact upon the people that knew him and saw this happen? They saw, they witnessed this transformation. What was the impact upon those that were instruments of the miracle that God did and the platform that it gave them to glorify God? What was the impact upon the church, the early church that witnessed and participated in this miracle? And then what was the impact upon the skeptics, those that were antagonistic towards the gospel? But this happened. This undeniable thing happened. And so what was the impact on them? And so that's going to kind of be the journey. That's we've read Acts, and I've read Acts, it never hit me this way of just seeing the power of a transformed life. And so would you all pray with me? And then we'll start with, um, Mr. Bate, I believe you had, we'll read Acts 3, please. So let's pray. So Father God, we love you. And Father, just uh, pray for your blessing upon tonight. Pray that you would um, help us fall deeper in love with you. Father, that's your desire, and, and we want that to be our desire. Father, as we talk about the, the power of a transformed life, Father, we're asking that, that you would continue to do the work of sanctification in our own lives, that areas of sin and struggle that we still have, Father, that you would fulfill this promise to complete the work you began in us, and Father, that there would be witnesses to that so that your name would be glorified and people would see the wondrous love and power of the name of Jesus. And Father, if there are areas of our life that aren't changing, Father, would you reveal those to us as well? Father, would you bless this time tonight? We ask it in your son's name. Amen. So, Mr. Bate, if you would start in 3-1. One day, Peter and John were going uh, to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a crippled man came from uh, crippled sorry. Now a crippled man from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he, was, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold 
I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar, began, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at, at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this, man, uh, made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate. Though he, had, though he had decided to let him go. You, uh, you disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You are witnesses of this. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see now was made strong. It is Jesus' Uh, name and faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. Now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his, that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that He may send the Christ who has been appointed to you for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as He promised long ago through His prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything He tells you. Anyone who does not listen to Him will be completely cut off from among His people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant of God made with, with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his, servants, his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Thanks, Richard. And who had 4, 1 through 31? Uh, Miss Connie, thank you. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came about on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of highly priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power and what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, 
if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was uh, rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to go aside out of the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in any man to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you, rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which they might punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is Thou who did make the heaven and the earth and the sea, and all that is in them, and who, by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, thy servant, did say, Why did the Gentiles rage, and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in the city they were gathered together against the Holy Servant Jesus, whom thou did anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hands and your promises predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence, while you do extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the word of God with boldness. <laughs> Thank you all very much. And I realize that's a, a lot of text, but I, I just wanted us to kind of read it together, right, in totality and kind of get us, to, because there's, there's something that occurs, but then there's this walkthrough, right, of all these different manifestations of what went on and how different people are interacting with this miracle and what's going on from this miracle. And so I wanted to, to kind of give a, a, a global sense of that. Just brief context, I mean, the, the book of Acts, right, written by Luke. Uh, Luke was a friend of Paul's, a fellow missionary of Paul's, and was a physician. And so basically Acts is, is kind of this history of the early church. When they were given the Great Commission, we get this glimpse of kind of from 33 to 62-ish A.D. of 
what did it look like for the Great Commission to get rolled out, right? And what, it's kind of fun, honestly, the reason I'm kind of in Acts is that we're part of a church plant. And so when you're talking about what does a new church look like and how should we, well, Acts has lots of church plants in it, right? And so it's kind of a good book to just read of what, what has gone on and how were these church planted and what were some of the struggles and what did God do and, and all those sorts of things. So that's kind of where I've been. What I'd like to do is let's just make kind of some observations of the text, which is kind of all I did when I was just looking at it, but it, it was just a new light, at least for me. And so when you think about the individual, right, who was at the temple gate and he's begging alms, right, he's, he's a paralytic, what observations might we make about the condition of his life, right? What, what might his life, because sometimes we read text and, and we intellectually process it, but we don't emote about it, right? And I think it's always helpful. These are real people and these are real events. And so how do we, so this individual, what, what do you imagine that his, his world was like? Toby. It's kind of weird because he's probably shocked because he, people try to get his attention. Look at us. Yeah. And, you know, being a beggar, he's always trying to get other people's attention. <coughs> to put yourself to think about that. Yeah. Well, Peter is be like, hey, you know, look at us. We have what you need. Yeah. It's like his heart was speaking when he said, yeah. it's like, man, I got what you need. I know what you need. Look at us. Yeah. And of course, what Peter was offering was not what he was asking for, right? And so ultimately, this man, and, and we get a sense later, how long had this man been in this condition? 40 years. Well, he was 40 years old. Could have been paralyzed two years. Uh, I think, huh? Birth. Yeah, since birth. And, and so basically, there's this 40 year old who's known this, this difficult condition his entire life. So how long, I mean, think of your life, right? I mean, I'm 48 now. And so I remember when I was younger and somebody would say, oh, it was 10 years ago. And I'm like, I'm 17. I have no context of what 10 years ago means, right? <laughs> the older I get, the more I get when someone says, well, I haven't seen them in 20 years. I'm like, oh, I saw them yesterday. You, know? uh, you begin to get 40 years of this condition. And how many days had he been carried and brought in a situation where he's placed? And, and obviously, as people are going into worship and they're going into give, that he's hoping that God would be moving their hearts to be generous to his condition. And so he's asking, he's begging, he's asking for alms. And so probably a pretty hopeless and, and despairing estate, right? And then, of course, there's this interaction with Peter where Peter says, silver and gold, I don't have you. But, and so he, here's this state of despair. Look at, look at the observations of what happened. Like, what was the miracle? And seizing him by the right hand, this is verse 7 and 8, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. So the first thing you observe is, is there was this physical miracle, right? So this, this gentleman who had never experienced strength in his limbs and in his ankles and his legs suddenly feels it for the very first time. And so what in the world would that feel like? To suddenly see all the things that you would have closed out any possibility of ever doing. And then suddenly this wave of realization of what this miracle could mean to your life, right? But we kind of get a sense from his response that it, it wasn't just, boy, I'm so glad I can walk and run. There was something that went on, right? And again, reading just a couple of different commentaries that Jesus taught in this temple, 
right? The reality is Jesus probably walked past this man many times, that there was this familiarity with who Jesus was. There may have been an understanding of what his teachings were, but there is a response to God in faith that not only does he get up and say, hey, thank you so much, and then he just heads out to do what he can't, you know, for the first time in his life is able to do, but, but look what his reaction is, that he's walking and leaping and praising God. That his immediate response was one of worship, right? He understands how this happened. And he understands what the cause of this was. And he's giving all, I mean, everything he can do without decorum, right? Like David, back in the day, embarrassing himself in worship for a God who just did this miracle of faith in his heart. And then it says he was clinging to Peter and John, right? That he wanted to, they're, they're headed into worship. Guess where he's going? He's going into worship. And so you see this, this observation of a transformed life upon the one who was transformed. But then you look in verse 9 and 11 and you get a sense of, so the people that knew him and the people that witnessed this, what was some of the reaction of a transformed life in, in their lives? And so verse 9 and 11 says, they were walking and praising God. They were taking note of him. They were filled with wonder and amazement. All the people ran together to them full of amazement. And then you see in 4.4, in many of these who heard the message that Peter gave, believed. Right? So there was this transformed life in front of them. And then the reaction of those that knew him is there was a significant impact. Right? There was a significant impact to the possibility that God is real. The possibility that God can do something like that. The possibility that Jesus was who he said he was. The possibility that their own areas of despair and disablement, there might be hope. And then their own heart condition, their own sin condition, that there might actually be hope for that. And so there's this powerful impact upon those that witnessed them. And then you look at the opportunity that Peter had as one who was used by God, and, and Peter makes it very clear this was not of Peter, right? He says, why are you looking as if this was my piety, my righteousness that did this? And then he proudly and, and, and boldly proclaims that it was Jesus who did this. But look, look at the opportunity of what he has to say. On the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by his name this man stands before you in good health. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Which is interesting, because there's this physical healing that Peter is preaching salvation from, which really ties back to Luke's account of the paralytic who was lowered through the roof. And when Jesus is going to heal him, he says, your sins are forgiven. And how did the, uh, how did the Pharisees react? How, how dare, how would you have the audacity to think that you can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And of course, that's right. And God is forgiving sins. And he says, but since you can't see the forgiveness of sins happening so that you can see, I'll show you what, you can't see, and he heals the man. So there's this physical healing, but really something else is going on spiritually in his heart and, and with his salvation. And so there's this impact, this opportunity that Peter has 
by being part of a ministry that transform a life to stand upon a hilltop and tell everybody this Jesus can really do these things, right? He is worth believing in. He's worth worshiping. And then you look at the impact upon the church, right? So Peter, they go before, and I'm going to mention this in a minute, but they go before you know, the, the, the Pharisees, and they kind of, they, they're brought in, they're accused. There's some things we're going to talk about. I'm, I'm getting ahead. All right, let's talk about the church. So basically from a church's perspective, right? So they said in 420, for we cannot, this is Peter, he says, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard, right? That there has been this transformation of life that has taken place, this transformation of faith. We, we can't stop talking about it. It doesn't matter what the threat is, what the accusation is, what the consequence might be. We can't stop. And then you go back and the church gathers together. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. So there's an instant worship within the church at this celebration of a transformed life. And then they pray and they start asking God big things. Why? Because if God is big enough, to physically heal and spiritually save people, what can we ask of this God? And look at the prayer. It says, Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And so again, you, you see this Miracle take place, and you see the change within his own life, and then you see the change of the people that knew him and the people that saw it, and then you see the opportunity for ministry and the glory of God from Peter and those that were instruments in the ministry, and then you see the reaction of the church, and these are all tremendously powerful things, but then you see the impact upon the skeptics and the antagonist and those that would refuse to believe and would refuse to worship and would, would go to any length possible to suppress, right, this gospel. And it says, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had what to say? Nothing. They had nothing to say. For the fact that a noteworthy miracle had taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it that there is this undeniable work of Jesus in this man's life, and everybody knows it. And as much as my agenda would love to discount what happened, there's simply nothing we can do against this powerful work of Christ, which should be tremendously encouraging to each of us as it relates to evangelism. Because when I, I first got discipled, when I went to college and I was down at UT and I got involved in Campus Crusade, the first time I'd ever really had someone kind of pouring into my life. And they would want to go out and do evangelism once a week on campus, which is still frightening and I'm 48, but it was utterly frightening when I was 18, right? And a lot of what scared me was the reality that I'm really young in my faith and, and I just don't know much. And so when people, you know, we went out, we started having these evangelistic meetings and that's a, he's a philosophy student, or this is a science student, or, the, well, they know more about science than I do. Well, this one knows more about debate and logic than I do. And, and I remember one of my disciples saying, don't worry about any of that. Tell them what Jesus is doing in your life. Because the one thing that is not debatable, the one thing that is undeniable, is the changed life of a believer. 
and God is changing you. And so, guess what? That's true. As I just began to give my testimony of what God is doing in my life, the reaction was never, no, he's not. No, he didn't, right? It's, it's impossible. And so it just became this really powerful thing. No matter where we are, as it relates to a comfort level with evangelism, as it relates to you know, our, what we feel about our knowledge of the word, what you have is a transformed life, right? And that story, which is your story, cannot be debated or denied. And so there's this really powerful thing. And then it says, when they had threatened them further, they let them go. Why? Well, on account of the people. Because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. Right? So again, they just couldn't do anything to these people because this transformed life was just undeniable. So think about your own life. And think about... You know, again, some of you have probably walked with Christ for many, many years, and some of you may be younger in your faith. But think about your own life and think about some of the changes that have occurred and think about some of the transformations that we're not the same people we used to be, right? And if you flip that and you think about the power of a transformed life because of the gospel, I found myself thinking about, so what's the impact of a professing Christian with no transformed life? Right? So what is the impact upon someone who professes Christ and yet there's just no fruit, no evidence over time? There's nothing ever changed, right? The answer is kind of obvious. There's, there's no impact. Right, that there's something that is happening that in, in, in believers that is not happening in them that is, is tragic, right? Think of the impact on the people that know them. Have you ever known someone who communicated a faith in Christ and yet lived in complete contradiction to that statement? So what was the impact of their testimony? How many of us had obstacles in our own faith journey because of the hypocrisy that we saw in others because they professed a faith they didn't live and we saw them just, you know, basically imbibing in the same sins of the world. And what, is that, what did it lead us to conclude about this Jesus they profess? He must not be all that powerful. He must not be different than any other God that's spoken of because I certainly don't see any evidence. There was a song... Back in the day when I was a youth, you know, by DC Talk on Jesus Freak, it was kind of the rock out, right? You couldn't listen to rock music, but that one you could, right? And there's a great quote in that song, and it says, The single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyles. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And so the impact upon a lost world of a non-transformed life is powerful as well. But that's, God willing, is, is not our story. And so we have this story of transformation. We've seen God change us in ways. And that's honestly what I would like when I mentioned kind of that getting together with one or two people. So I'd like us to get in kind of groups of twos and threes. And I want you to just share with somebody how you've seen a change 
in your life because of what Jesus has done for you. And it wouldn't be fair to ask you to share if I didn't start. And so I'll start and then I'll turn it over to you guys, right? And so when I grew up, I was always really into sports, right? And one of the things that was not one of my best qualities is I was just not a very good sport. And, and specifically, I had a real temper when it came to competition. And so in a situation where if I'm losing, somebody else is to blame. And, and I just wasn't a very good uh, teammate, very honestly. And, and I had this temper about me that when things weren't working in my way, again, what's not helpful? Pointing around the huddle and telling people whose fault it is. But that was me. That was kind of my tendency, right? And so I come to Christ at the age of 13, but there really was no discipleship. And I start getting discipled kind of my senior year in high school, and then I get down to college, and I get involved in a crusade. And if I don't know how you guys were when you first came to Christ and what those early weeks were in your faith, but there's this exuberance that hit me that was just awesome. I mean, I could just, I was reading the Word and I was loving it for the first time in my life. I could go to worship concerts and praise concerts like nobody's business, right? I mean, I was, I was talking the talk, but what hadn't happened yet much is an actual change in my life. So my enthusiasm was way ahead of my maturity, right? Anybody ever been guilty of your enthusiasm being far ahead of your maturity and then sometimes we can create issues there, right? So I decide to go play pickup basketball, and I can't remember if I've shared this or not, but I'm wearing this shirt from Campus Crusade, right? So I go down, we play ball, this guy's banging me, I'm banging him. I'm not giving a very good witness at all, right? And, and at the end of the day, he's mad, I'm mad. Everybody around's not having any fun at all, right? He mutters words, I mutters words. I walk out of there, I'm walking across campus, and I look down and I've got my crusade shirt on that says Jesus in big red letters and then on the back it says he's not just for Sundays anymore and I mean I know the exact spot I can point you to the exact spot on campus where I was when I looked down and saw my shirt because I was maybe for the first time I was mortified at the testimony that I had just had that I couldn't believe that this savior that I was so falling in love with that I had just embarrassed him in that place, that for me to go back in there and try to talk to them about Jesus, would I have any platform whatsoever? Not at all. And it, it changed me. And, and, and it honestly, there was a point in my life early on where I thought, you know what, if, if I can't compete in a godly way, maybe I just need to not compete, right? Maybe I just need to not do those things. But I was just, I was just asking God, God, would you do a transformation in this area in my life? Because there is this love for sports and anything with a ball, but I don't want that to be an area where I can't honor you. And over time, there's just been this change, and none of us are perfect, right? But I think it's okay to say Jesus has done something in my life. And so it's funny because my kids might say, or my wife might say, I'm a very patient person that I don't react in anger, but I know who I was. And it's funny sometimes to hear people talk about who I am, but I know the truth. I know that that's really Jesus in me. That's the Jesus he changed because I used to just be a very hot-headed, angry, quick-to-anger person. And there's been this transformation in my life. And he did it, right? So that's, that's my turn. So get together with two, in groups of two or three, 
Pick any area of your life where you've seen Jesus do something amazing and just kind of share that. And we'll take just maybe five, six minutes to do that. So y'all, y'all pair up. I'm sorry? Yes, ma'am. We got seven minutes and I'm going to sprint. <laughs> it's, by the way, I didn't realize we have seven minutes. I, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do this. I thank you for mentioning that. Yes, ma'am. Let's do this. And this takes a little more boldness, but we've got a couple of minutes. Would anybody be willing to testify to a change that Jesus has made in your life to this delightful church family? We saw Meredith do it with her testimony, so you get a pass, right? We, 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 we heard yours, which was awesome. Anybody? Anybody testify? retired professors from the English department at UNT and they are very liberal and they are very anti anything spiritual so I've been just sharing my life not my faith but I've been sharing my life with her for over a year the other day she said to me we are not very religious and it was not a point where I could talk to her but we are going to go out to dinner next week and I'm going to tell her I'm not religious either I have a relationship yeah and I'm going to share my testimony with her. Yeah. She's just beginning to be open. Yeah. And that's all I want to say. She has said over the years, over the months, you're so happy. Why are you so happy? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's something. So, have you ever felt, by the way, have you ever been somewhere and you meet someone for the first time and you, within five minutes you're like, they know Jesus. You know what I mean? I mean, there's just this sense of joy and care that's just kind of, and you're like, Jen and I were with Brooke. Remember when we were at Brooke? And we, say again. Yeah, we were at Duke. And, and bottom line is, it's a pretty secular place, right? And we're kind of touring the college. And they say, you know, there's these 10 students that are going to give us the tour. And they each got up and said 30 seconds of introduction about their life, their major, where they're from. And instantly, you, he, you just knew he ended up being our guide. He was a believer. It was so great, but you just knew. What else from a, from a transformed life? What, is, what has Jesus done in your life? Well, since Ed and I have been working together at the, the office, we had this one client. She's also our accountant. Same kind of thing, very liberal. You know, definitely hangs out with those feminist kind of women. You know, they're all empowered. And she's like, you know, when we first meet her, she's like, I can't wait to get divorced. You know, can't wait to get this bomb out of my life. <coughs> and just recently, she got back from a trip overseas, and she actually said to us that she missed her husband while she was there, and that he'd missed her. Yeah. And it was just, you know, us being together, yeah. you know, showing her what it's like to have a spouse, you know, and none of it's about us. It's just totally what Jesus, you know, kind of kept prompting us to talk to her about. It's like, He's, you know, there for you. He's, you know, every day. He's still showing up. There's something about your marriage. There's just something that is different than what I've experienced. And over time, I think I want to know what that is, right? Anyone else? We are almost out of time. Toby. Well, uh, I guess uh, it's been a long transition. Yeah. For y'all that don't know, I actually graduated in Freedom Island, um, 2010. Yeah. And um, it was the first time that I actually had to learn how to serve. Um, the past 
you know, I would come to church and I would never volunteer. You would never catch me out there on a Saturday morning. <laughs> I mean, even though I would stay home, watch TV, play sports, go golf and go fishing, I do my thing. I did my work. You know what I'm saying? I let, you know, my dad take care of me. And being in the Freedom House, serving the community and serving your brothers put a sense, you know, put something in me that I never had before. And, uh, you know, it's, my transformation is, is that I'm, I've reached a point um, that I'm sober because my drug use in the past has gotten to the point to where I literally, it had to stop because I was losing my mind. And I was saved by Christ. I was saved by Jesus. Because I cried out and I was like, I, I've had enough. And um, I never went to the 12 steps. I never, you know, I, uh, I knew what I had to do. I had to do God's will. I submitted myself and wanted to be a true servant. And now I feel all my excess time here. You catch me Monday through Sunday. I know, you know, sometimes I work on Sundays here. If the work needs to be done, this is where I'm at. Um, I'm here to serve in any which way I can. And because if I'm not doing his will, you know, I, I don't want to be doing mine, you know. So. Yeah. And that's the transformation that he's done in my life. Yeah. Is, you know, I just want to serve and help others. Thanks, Tally. So, so what's, I mean, a number of applications, right? Number one, we worship a God who's still transforming lives. Amen. And we need to know that and act like that and worship like that and believe in that and share like that, right? Our testimony is super powerful, right? That there is something that we can tell a story of what Jesus has done in us that is not a debatable thing. And there's really, especially after you've earned the right by loving people. And then suddenly you have this opportunity to tell this story that brags on God in a really powerful way. And then this. That oft, I think sometimes, you know, it's hard to share and it's hard to be vulnerable and transparent, but how encouraged is the church when they hear that Jesus is still doing miracles today all around us? And we're, we're encouraged and, and we're enthused and we're impassioned when we hear those things, right? And I remember a pastor one time saying something like if, oh, what was the phrase? Something like, so if, if, you're, if, if you're not fired up about what God's doing, then your wood's wet, right? The issue is you. It's not that God is not still transforming lives, because He is. We just want to be in that current, right? We want to, so may God make Dina a place of many, many, many stories of transformations and a place where God is bragged on heavily.